0: We are going to put aside uh, Mark for the month of October. Uh, Given that there are five Sundays in the month of October, um, we're starting a series on the Reformation, um, the five solas. Uh, The the five solas are the five onlys or alones of the Reformation. Uh, These five solas were found throughout the works of the early reformers beginning with Martin Luther. And today we begin with the first Sola, that is Sola Scriptura. When we say Sola Scriptura, we are saying Scripture alone is the rule of faith and obedience. We find this in the larger catechism that we confessed this morning, larger catechism question three. It means that Scripture tells us what we are to believe and how we are to live in the world and in the community of faith. Uh, During the Reformation, there was a concern over uh, papal authority overstepping the authority of God's Word. And it often contradicted Scripture. Uh, So the heart of the Reformation was about getting back to the source and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that is the Old and New Testaments, with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So let us do just that by turning in the scripture to Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Scripture alone is the rule of faith and obedience. Why? Because they contain the very words of God. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke to man when he gave him his first commandment, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He even spoke to man after man disobeyed him. He told him the consequences of his sin, but he also preached the good news to him of the woman's seed who will bruise the head of the serpent. He spoke to Noah, Abraham, Jacob, and others until God told Moses to write down all that he is to write so his word would be passed down to Israel and that Israel would keep them. He spoke to and through the prophets and they wrote it down. Now today, God speaks to his people through the written word. And it is through that word written in the Holy Scriptures that he calls his people to himself and saves them. As Paul says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And all this is to say that God is a God who communicates with his people In this letter, Peter is addressing other believers, those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. And in this first chapter, he has been calling them to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and in Christian virtue in order to confirm their election and calling. Because faith doesn't lead to a free from care type of Christian living. Uh, There is this form of uh, Christianity that refuses to grow in knowledge and in uh, spiritual maturity. It it is a form of easy believism. All you have to worry about is if you believe in Jesus and just let grace work. Just sit back and uh, do nothing. But that is not the faith of the Bible. Faith works. The fruit of true faith leads to the love of Jesus Christ. Wanting to know more about Him and how to live in light of our salvation that is coming at His second coming. But to do so, we must be established in our faith in Jesus. How? Well, we have been given something to refer to. We have been given something to hold on to until Jesus returns for us. And what is that? It is the Word of God. Because the Word of God is not just to save us at the beginning of our Christian walk. But it is for the entire Christian life. We don't get saved and then put the Bible aside. We are called to search it, to examine it, and to apply it to ourselves. Because the Word of God, as the confession reminds us, is the only rule of faith in obedience. It is for the Christian life. And here, Peter wants to establish us in this rock-solid Word of God in three ways from the experience of the apostles. First, from what they saw. Secondly, from what they heard. And thirdly, from what was written and what they read. First, Peter wants to establish the Christian life in Christ from eyewitness testimony. Peter was one of the apostles. And an apostle is one who was with Jesus and he was an eyewitness to his resurrection. So from his witness, he begins to argue. People often say that Christians shouldn't argue over doctrine. But every apostolic letter of the New Testament poses an argument. And Peter does just that by arguing for the truth of the Son of God up against false teaching. He is refuting those who say that Christ never came in the flesh. And he was refuting the naysayers who have said that the return of Christ will never happen They are saying that the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah are nothing but myths. They are just made up. They are fables. They are not true. And they are only stories made up to control people. That's believed even today, right? When we speak about the Judgment Day, uh, often people say, Oh, uh, religion just made that up in order to control people. My response is usually, it hasn't worked very well, has it? Also, Peter is not only surrounded by naysayers. He's not only surrounded by uh, those who deny that Christ will return. He's also surrounded by Gnostics. Uh, Gnosticism is the belief that you can attain a higher spiritual knowledge within yourself. Using your own reasoning. Using the knowledge that you already have without any help. In other words, we can achieve a level of special revelation on our own, individually. Uh, We don't need any outside revelation. We don't need a preacher to preach to us. We don't need a teacher to teach us. Because it is all within you. Right? Use your intuition. The solution is within you. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's much like the modern day movement that says truth is relative. I'm just living my truth. You live your truth. I live my truth. It is all within you. Follow your heart. Do what you feel is right. That's Gnosticism. That's Gnosticism. But Peter says no. The truth of God and salvation must be given to you. It comes from outside of you. You cannot save yourself with the knowledge of God that you have naturally. God must give it to you. That is what Peter is doing here. He is giving us the truth that he received from God. He says, For we, the apostles, did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying that the truth of Jesus Christ coming from the lips of the apostles have a different origin than all the other religious stories that you've probably heard before. It's of a different origin altogether. So he is reminding his readers of what he saw as an apostle and in order to establish the Christian life, in the Word of God, he wants to answer the question, why should we be listening to Peter? Why should we listen and believe in his gospel, what he is sharing with us? And why should we live godly lives as he calls us to? So he reasons with them. See, reasoning is not a bad thing. Presenting reasons and evidences. So here he presents his evidence and puts up a fight in order to tell us in a way that the Old Testament prophecies are not myths. And that the return of Jesus Christ is in fact coming. So we ought to live in light of his return. Uh, How do you know Peter? How do you know he's going to return? He responds, well I was there. With James and John. And we saw a glimpse of it with our own eyes. He refers to one of the greatest moments of revelation in the entire scriptures. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He is seeking to destroy any argument against the coming of Jesus Christ and who He was and who He is. He, he didn't make up the story. Jesus wasn't a figment of His imagination. It wasn't a myth like the stories of Zeus and of Horus and Osiris and, and, and all the other false gods and false religions. This is the foundation of our hope. And if it didn't happen, then we ought to lose hope. We ought to lose hope. But in all actuality it did happen. And it ought to convince us because there were multiple eyewitnesses there. Eyewitnesses to what? Eyewitnesses to what? Here he is speaking of when Jesus took Peter, James and John to a high mountain. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And what did they see? It says they saw his majesty. Though this wasn't the resurrection, it pointed forward to it. Not only did it point forward to the resurrection, it pointed forward to when Jesus would ascend to the right hand of his Father. It was when his face was shining before them. His majesty is is speaking of Jesus' greatness, his magnificence, or better, his beauty. When his face was altered and his clothes became radiant intensely or dazzling white. And there he was seen conversing with Moses and Elijah while the glory cloud or the Shekinah glory surrounded them. What a sight to behold. What a testimony we can rely on. And this is the testimony that Peter is presenting to the church that we are to rely on. And secondly, not only were the apostles eyewitnesses of His majesty, but He also wants to establish the Christian life in what they heard on that holy mountain. Remember, what came from the lips of the apostles was different than what was being spread by the surrounding cultures and religions. It has a totally different origin. And they didn't only see His majesty, but they also heard something as well. They were given eyes to see and ears to hear. What, what did they hear? They heard the word of God. They heard the word of God. It says, for when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, that's another way of speaking of the Father speaking through the, the cloud, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. See, this was a revelation of who Jesus was and is as the Messiah and the one whom God his Father appointed as judge and savior of his people. But also we we must notice that this is also a revelation of God and who he is as Father, Son, And Holy Spirit, but specifically, it is a revelation of the Son. Notice the language of giving and receiving between the Father and the Son. It is all throughout the New Testament. And it doesn't mean that the Son is less than God or that he didn't have what he received before in all eternity. In fact, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Him receiving something in his human nature from the Father is actually another way of saying that the Father and the Son share in the same divine nature from all eternity. And it is because He is the Son that the Father gives Him honor and glory. Meaning, He gives Him all that is His. This is what is going on here. It is similar to when Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here, God's honor, God's glory is given to the Son. This seems to contradict Isaiah when God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory, I give to no other. But since the Son is God, He is not giving glory to another, other than God. John, who was one of the witnesses, would attest to this. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And all honor, And glory, dominion, and power that belongs to the Father is given to the Son. And that glory was shining from Him on that holy mountain. As John would say again, we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Many people have asked, well, what is glory? Uh, Some people have defined it as uh, victory in battle. Oftentimes my response is, I don't know. I don't know. What we do know is that it is evidence of the communion and the fellowship that he has with his Father. Honor and glory here is speaking of the way he was shining and that beauty that was uh, coming from him on that mountain that day similar to when Moses' face shone when he came down from Mount Sinai after talking with God. The glory that shines from Jesus is founded in the fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this glory will shine forth when He returns because the transfiguration was a foretaste of His return in glory. And it was a foretaste of how all Christians will have a share in that glory in what many have called the beatific vision. You notice the word beauty there in beatific. That is when Jesus will appear and in an instant we shall be like Him, transformed in glory because we shall see Him as He is. In his beauty. In his glory. So majesty, honor, and glory all share the same meaning here. It all comes from the same place. It all comes from God. And it has been given to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened here... Is that they hear the word of God as it was given to them on a the mountain. Just like when the word of God was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. But the major difference between what happened to Moses and Jesus. Is that Jesus is not just another prophet. This is what the father was trying to communicate Jesus is His beloved Son in whom He is well pleased, who shares the same nature as His Father. Also notice, this was a public declaration. As Peter says, we ourselves, Peter, James, and John, three witnesses, heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. What they saw, in His majesty, in the honor and glory given to Him. And what they heard was of a different origin. It was from God Himself. So what Peter is trying to say from all of this is now, you ought to listen to me. Because I was one of the witnesses of what happened on that mountain when God told us who Jesus is. Who is he? He is the word of God. Who reveals God and his ways. That is why in Mark's account. The father says listen to him. He is my word. We have seen that God is a God. Who communicates within himself. The Holy Trinity. And so he is a God who communicates with his people he communicates with his people and notice Peter is delivering something here to his readers he is giving them something because not only was Peter an eyewitness to the transfiguration but he also now possesses the word of God he is saying listen to me because I was there and now I am bringing the word of God to you so he not only wants to establish the Christian life in what he witnessed and what he heard on that mountain. But thirdly, Peter wants to establish the Christian life in the Word of God. Literally, the Word of God. The written Word of God. And he grounds the written Word in what he saw and in what he heard that day. He says, and we have, not we as the entire church, right? We're moving ahead here. Uh, We, as in the apostles, the three apostles there specifically, and then the apostles uh, later on. We, the apostles, have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, or, or the firm prophetic word, meaning it is solid and it is reliable. Why? Because of what happened when Jesus brought us to that mountain. Uh, Some people have interpreted this to mean that uh, the transfiguration was a reliable account. But the word of God that is written is more reliable. But that is not what he is saying. That would be comparing the word of God with the word of God. Which is more reliable. they're, They're both reliable. They're both equally reliable. No, he is saying what we saw on that mountain that day was a glimpse of the fulfillment of all that was given to us in the Old Testament. That's what he was saying. The glory of the Lord coming down on the mountain in the form of a cloud. That glory shining through Moses' face. The glory of fellowship with God face to face. The ironic blessing. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. All of that was fulfilled on that holy mountain. Never mind all the prophecies of the Messiah. All of these were fulfilled in Jesus' And what was to come when He returns in glory was slightly revealed to Peter, James, and John on that day. So He is trying to tell us that the Old Testament is reliable. And it was made even more reliable on that day because it confirmed all that was prophesied. All of the Old Testament about God and man is foreshadowing the coming of Jesus Christ. And what happened in the transfiguration is a foreshadowing of what is to come for the church when Jesus returns. And what Peter is doing is delivering this prophetic word more fully confirmed to the church. He is uh, delivering over to them the very word of God based on his testimony and the testimonies of others. As John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That word of life was confirmed in Jesus Christ. All that God spoke was fulfilled in Jesus. And now as the author of Hebrews says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So the question is, what is the church to do with it? What is the church's duty to this word? Peter says of this prophetic word, to which you, that is the church, will do well to pay attention. He says what the author of Hebrews uh, continues to say, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Why? Why? If you're a Christian and if you haven't noticed, we live in a dark world. We are surrounded by evil. And bad things happen to us and sometimes to our family members. And we are all born with dark In sinful minds. We find ourselves. Drifting away constantly. weekly, Beginning on Mondays. But God has not left us. To figure things out. On our own. He has given us. His word to use as a lamp. Shining in a dark place. As the psalmist says. Your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. But we must admit that we normally do not use it as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. There are many voices trying to grab our attention these days. Some of us For some of us, it could be our, even our closest family members. Uh, we must admit that they don't try to grab our attention from the Word of God in every area. But in the places where they are, who will we listen to? Who will guide us? Who is our authority? What is the authoritative voice in our lives? Who will guide us? And what what if it is not another voice? What if it is our own voice? What, What if we're like the Gnostics? who believe we have all knowledge within ourselves. Uh, What if we are being led by our own experiences? We we hear of spiritual experiences all the time in many Christian circles. And some of them uh, are kind of out there. Whether or not we believe them, you know, uh, we don't know. We don't know the secret things of the Lord, but they're kind of out there. It, It reminds me of the stories of how Martin Luther used to have battles with the devil. There's that story that he even threw an inkwell at the devil and I think made a hole in the wall because he threw it so hard. But that story was meant to lead us to the culmination of what he was to eventually rely on. What voice was he to rely on? What did he have to hold on to? What has God given us to hold on to? The word of God. That's what sparked the Reformation. The word of God. The gospel in the word of God is the lamp that will guide us when everything or everyone else is saying, you're cursed. My response is... Forget your experience. What does the Word of God say? What does God say? What did God say about His beloved Son? And what did He say about you when you believed in the Son? That you too are a child of God. And the Word of God is more reliable than your experience. Not more reliable than Peter's experience as he saw the sun. But your experience is not as reliable as what the word of God has declared. Pay attention to it. Because according to Peter, there is an expiration date on the usage of the word of God. That sounds controversial, doesn't it? There will be a time when we will no longer need the word of God. There will be a time when we will no longer need a lamp. We only need a lamp at night when we are surrounded by darkness. But as soon as the sun rises, we don't need a lamp anymore. He says, the word will be a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is not speaking of some secret spiritual experience or spiritual enlightenment. He is saying, we have the scriptures And they only illumine us. They only shed light partially. They are a lamp and a guide through this dark world. But when Jesus returns, everything will be light. As Paul says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part But when the perfect comes, when Jesus returns and gives us new glorified bodies, that is the perfect. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Everything will be fulfilled at his return. And the morning star, that is Jesus, will rise in our hearts. Meaning he will be fully unveiled to us face to face. Where we will see the glory of God. What Jesus is saying is what we saw on that mountain that day will be fully unveiled to you one day in the near future. So the word of God and the scriptures is reliable to establish our lives until he returns. They have been given to us to take heed to, to believe and to guide us. But I know that there are those who deny the Scriptures as the Word of God. They denied it in Peter's day, and there are many, maybe even some sitting here, that do not believe that the Holy Bible is the Word of God. One of the arguments that I've heard as to why people do not accept the Holy Bible as the Word of God is because it was written by men. My response is, it seems like I always have a response, But my response is, so is in every other book in the world. But it's funny how they seem to trust every other book that are against the Word of God instead of the Word of God. And the question to my mind is, why? 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 Uh, I've tried to research this and thought about it, but it is because this book exposes the darkness of our own hearts and lives. And men love the darkness. And here Peter wants to answer those who deny its origin. He gives us reasoning for trusting in the scriptures. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. The people that Peter was trying to refute believed what many people believe today. They believe That yes, God gave the prophets visions, dreams, and signs. But when it came down to them writing it down, it was just their own interpretation of what they heard and saw. There had to be mistakes. No one can interpret the word of God perfectly. So the scriptures do not really contain the actual word of God, but just the words of men. They are interpretations of what God gave them. But Peter says, no, that is not what the scriptures are. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. No prophecy of scripture, nothing written in scripture, in other words was produced by the will of man. Remember, it was a different origin. It was a different origin. He says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit is both the interpreter of prophecy and the author of prophecy. And when they wrote it down, it was the actual word of God. So the Holy Spirit is the author of what was written. Just as Paul confirms, all scripture is breathed out by God. Peter is saying, just like I didn't make up what happened on that mountain, the prophets didn't make up what they wrote. Just like what happened on the mountain came from God as it was a revelation of God, the scriptures came from God as it was, as it is a revelation of God. They are not just the words of men. So pay close attention to them. So what are we to do with the Scriptures? What are we to do with the Scriptures? Our duty as the church is to receive the Word of God as Peter brought it to us. Later his eyewitness testimony and the testimony of the other apostles will be the basis of the writings of the New Testament as they too contain the very Word of God. That's why Jesus told his apostles that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. For what? Partly so that they can write them down and give it to the church. And give it to the church. And this is reminiscent of what Paul says to the Thessalonians. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Which is at work in you, believers. Have you received this word? Do you believe it is the word of God? Do you trust in it? There is nowhere else to go to find a lamp for a dark place such as this world. We can't see the transfiguration yet, we can't see his glory yet with our eyes. But well, we have been given eyes to see and ears to hear and read the Word of God. Because by the time Jesus returns, it will be too late for you if you haven't paid attention to it. Are you paying attention to it? Is it working in your lives? Well, if it has, I assure you, we can have confidence that we too will be changed on that glorious day when Christ returns. Amen.